Hey, Oriole fans, welcome to this week's edition of Yard Work on MassInSports.com with Orioles beat writer Steve Molesky. I am Brian Eller. Steve, how are you, man? Hey, Brian, how's it going? Doing all right. I think we're doing a little bit better than the Orioles. Uh, this was a, uh, I know we've only been doing this podcast for about a season and a half now, but uh, this past week since our last episode has been one of the been one of the rougher ones, I think, capped off by the, uh, the forgettable weekend series in, in the Bronx there. Indeed, that was rough. And um, the Yankees look like a train going downhill right now. And the Orioles couldn't stop them, that's for sure. Uh, I believe it was 12 pitchers pitched, 10 got scored on. Only Richard Blyer and Michael Givens did not. Gosman and Tillman gave up 11 first-inning runs in the last two games of the series. And the Orioles scored eight runs in the entire series. So they got outscored in two innings, essentially. And a lot more than that, and the Yankees poured it on. I'm not ready to crown on the division champs yet. I think some people are. They look good. They've got young talent. They've got a lot going for them. And so let's see how they wade through some more challenges. But, you know, if we were to grade on 60 games, the Yankees get a very good grade. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's obviously hard to, to put too much stock into any three-game series. You know, I, there's it's just so there's so much more baseball to be played. But um, I think we brought this up last time, and, and I know Buck was talking about it, uh, I believe, after Sunday's series finale. Um, did, did this weekend tell you a little bit more about the Yankees or the Orioles? Because I felt like it, it was that lopsided that you could kind of say, okay, well, was it are the Orioles really that much in trouble, or are the Yankees just really that, that good and maybe the, the team to beat in that division, at least for now? I mean, the Yankees look good, so that uh... – They do. I think the concerning thing for the Orioles, and, you know, I was putting some stats together here tonight, and this is through the Yankee series. We're taping this before the White Sox series begins when people hear it. But the Orioles started 22 and 10. We know that through early May. And then since then, they are 9 and 20, and the rotation ERA is 644. I mean, 644. That's not bad. That's horrendous. Um, And so. That's a long stretch of not good pitching, and they weren't pitching great until then. They were pitching better. Most of it was Bundy and Miley uh, really are the only two that have gotten it going for any extended stretch. And so my wonder is if the Orioles are, you know, reconsidering anything here um, or how this is going to play out. But, you know, 644, that will not work. And I wonder, Steve, because obviously the the frustration, even though, as you said, the Orioles only scored eight runs uh, for that you know that entire series there against the Yankees, and we've seen games certainly this season where the offense kind of drops off and and maybe is underperforming. Um, but it seems like, of course, the pitching is and, and deservedly so again based on the numbers that you said and kind of the the expectations that we've seen. The pitching sort of becomes the the number one the villain there, but. Um, you know, for years the Orioles have just kind of boasted about, you know, they've taken pride in the fact that we're, you know, in rather than free agency, we're going to we're going to draft these pitchers, we're going to we're going to coach them up, we're going to we know they have talent. They're usually a lot of these guys were taken high in the draft order. Um they kind of went for that homegrown approach and and they really are seeing all this potential in guys that can be these these top of the rotation starters. Do you think there's sort of an added pressure or hesitation to really make uh, too many changes when there's when there's that added factor of the homegrown, the reputation of, of saying for, for you know such a long period of time, hey, we, we kind of staked our reputation on these guys, and boy, if they don't pan out, of course it's a disappointment, 
because you want them to work. But man, it, it's almost like, you know, kind of admitting you, you were mistaken on things. And that, can that be a little tough, do you think? I mean, you know, the Orioles have this reputation. They can't develop pitching, and that's the, that's the narrative. I don't think it's that cut and dried because the same people who worked with developing Kevin Gosman worked with developing Dylan Bundy. And so it, it's working out for Dylan Bundy, and some of these same people had their hands on Chris Tillman, who for the most part, until the shoulder issue, he had been pretty solid for this team for the last few years. Um, and some of those people helped Donnie Hart get to the majors, drafted around 27, and Michael Givens convert from shortstop. So there are success stories if you want to acknowledge them, but everybody wants the ace pitcher and the starting pitcher, and that's where the Orioles haven't done that in abundance over many years, as we know. So Gosman, uh, the, mar- the narrative over the winter, Brian, was he's an ace in training, right? He's his big second half. Look at how well he pitched. He was the opening day starter. He and Bundy, you got two young guns to lead this rotation. And Kevin has not been able to get it going. And I look at him and I see inconsistent command. I see inconsistent secondary pitches. I just see inconsistencies everywhere. And I don't know how they can get it going. I mean, Sunday's game, he almost didn't throw his split finger. And this was supposed to be a great pitch for him. And he hardly used it. And so at some point in Chicago, maybe I'll get a chance to talk to him and get his thoughts on it. Um, whether he's getting away from a game plan or 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 that he didn't have it going that day, so didn't use it. But I, it doesn't have a clear, concise answer. We all would like to put it in a box. If they fix A, then everything was great because uh, this, the lines lines are blurred and more involved in that. But it's a long-winded answer to yeah, they've had some issues developing pitching. They have had some success stories, but. Um, Right now, the pitching, whether it's developed by the Orioles or acquired by the Orioles, is not doing good enough. And do you get the sense that maybe Chris Tillman is, is still kind of working his way back, not at, not at 100%? I know he had one of his shortest outings of, of his career, I believe, on, on Saturday. I, I just don't think we can say this is spring training anymore. I mean, you reach a point where um, he should be pitching better, he would say the same. And so maybe we can't grade these Yankee starts because they would have crushed anybody. I don't know. But we have to start to see better. I mean, they go to Chicago, and they have to stabilize this ship, and the starts have to start getting better. They're playing the White Sox, who are struggling, and the Cardinals, who are struggling, and they have to have a good week coming up um, because they're taking a step down in class from what they've been facing in the AL East. Uh, And, you know, the Nationals beat them Thursday, who are hitting great right now. So they're not facing lineups like they have been facing, and let's see if it gets better. You know, it's kind of we know one of the big struggle points for the starters is going deep into games, which of course leads to tax bullpens. And we saw it uh, Sunday with Gosman giving up, I think it was five runs in the first inning, and Saturday night, of course, with Tillman start. Um, actually, I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts, Steve, on sort of sort of a broader baseball-centric topic because um, I don't know if you saw recently on ESPN there was an article by uh, David Schoenfield who wrote about the, the death of the complete game, which uh, is the way he titled it, and just how over the past few years baseball has just really seen a decline in pitchers throwing complete games, you know, whether that's because of, uh, you know, advanced bullpens or, you know, pitchers are, are throwing a lot harder and, and maybe their, you know, their arms that they're trying to uh, – 
you know, stretch these guys out so they can have a little bit longer careers. But of course, for the Orioles, a complete game, at least recently, has been such such a rarity. I think they haven't had any this year, um, and I believe they only had one last year, which of all pitchers was Ubaldo Jimenez, I believe, through that game. Um, I guess just your kind of thoughts, Steve, on on the fact that this you know a complete game, which seemed to be such a a common instance, uh, you know, twenty years ago, is really kind of a, a rare thing to see these days. It is, and I mean, it, anymore, it seems like when any pitcher on any team gets around 100 pitches, we start thinking his night should be over. And maybe that the, the game has just become so conservative on these pitch counts, the guy throws 112 pitches, we're like, wow, if you're 112, you know, and Jim Palmer and his group are laughing at that. But it's just a different game, and the money and the pitching and the concern for the injuries, and maybe uh, they baby him too much on the farm, but... I think it's just the they're so concerned about injuries, and they and baseball has never figured out a way to prevent them, and that's the biggest issue. All these Tommy Johns, if if anybody could prevent them, why would we have so many keep happening? <clears throat> and now it's happening to kids that are 13, 14, 15. Alec Asher of the Orioles, I think, had Tommy John was like 14, and so you start to add all this up, and you get them babying these pitchers and the proliferation of the bullpens is added to that where now we've got a sixth inning guy and a seventh inning guy and an eighth inning guy and the managers feel like who's going to be better to get out so the stats have proven brian a third time through the lineup is the toughest for a starter so a sixth seventh inning third time through should i let my starter pitch who's who gives up a 290 average in such situations or my hard-throwing reliever who gives up a 210 and the stat sheet tells them that's an easy call. And so maybe managers make that call too quick some nights. Maybe they should look at it on a night-by-night basis and go, he's not going to give up third time through this time. So all that up, all that I rambled on there for you, but all that adds up to less innings for starting pitchers in Major League Baseball. I agree with you. I, I think the numbers game is definitely a big part of it because you you we watch bullpen managers and particularly in the American League East, I think there's a couple managers. You know, Joe Girardi especially is known for boy. You you could go through five bullpen guys over a seven batter stretch. You know, just based on the matchups. You know, righty. You know, righty versus lefty and and things like that. Based on these situations, I think these these guys are so schooled in the game and so incensed with with statistics and watching tape that they know right when okay if joe schmoe's coming to the plate and i've got bob smith on the mound this is the percentage of success against him so let's bring in this guy and you know the odds are then in our favor it's all it's almost like breaking the last few innings down to every at bat who's going to have the advantage and and that can create you know longer games as as we've also talked about but uh but yeah it makes it harder to see a complete game but it does make for some exciting baseball towards the end when you got these these uh these matchups that are so great you know well and we also have a situation where let's face it fans and media alike will criticize these teams saying they got to get mornings from their starters they got to get mornings from their starters so let's so so let's say a given night buck or any manager pushes his starter into the seventh in a close game and he gives up a three-run homer then what are we saying how could he let him face him the third time he had a day ready to go so it's like we, on the one hand, we scream at them. They're not getting enough from their starters, but the one time they'll push a guy, he better not fail or else the, the next thing we say is, well, wow, he had the bullpen ready. So it's like we can't have, you know, our, our cake and eat it too, I guess, if we want one or the other. And 
some nights you do have to push that starter, and some nights you got to get them out, and it's it's a, it's a hard to know when to do that. And anymore, if a manager pushes a starter and he gives it up, the first question he has to answer in the press conference is, well, why didn't you go to the pen sooner? So we have that aspect of it. I feel like managers really really can't win these days, you know. As fan, fans right. media, we are demanding. They can win as long as the players make the, may perform. And then it's like, Buck made a great move when he went to a day in the seventh. Well, but if a day gives it up, it's like, why did Buck pitch him two days in a row? Why didn't Buck go to Givens there? So the players make the manager look good or not, and managers know that they that's what they got to live with. Now, in in terms of our podcast, obviously, as we're recording on a weekly basis, there's there's really no point in in kind of recapping a lot of ups and downs with with transactions and moves because, and particularly with the the team kind of struggling from a pitching standpoint, there's that that Norfolk shuttle is being uh, being launched almost every day now. So no point in doing that, but just just a little bit of news to kind of keep up. Um, I think Manny Machado, of course, working his way back from injury there. Uh, as we record this on on Sunday. He uh, performed baseball activities Sunday morning, hitting off tees, you know, fielding ground balls, things like that. He's might be ready to come off the disabled list Monday in Chicago. So uh, Steve, you'll obviously being in Chicago, hopefully get some good stuff on that. And by the time this podcast, you know, launches for fans, many might already be back into action, and this might be a move point. But just to kind of update, I know he's working back from that strain left wrist, but hopefully um, he's. Uh, He's back in action pretty soon. He's a guy, Steve, who, of all you know, all the friends that I talk to, they're 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 so confused by you know he's got he still has that power which we've seen and he's probably going to end up with close to his home run total uh, from last year, but uh, still waiting for that average kind of bump up. But I think he's definitely a guy that will uh, will get it together, and I'm kind of hoping he can maybe spark at least that offense to get a little bit more consistency, and uh, certainly will be a welcome sight back in the lineup hopefully soon. Well, it would. I mean. It scored three runs or less, I believe, seven of the last nine games. So this is a lineup that should be doing better than that. We know it's up and down and hit or miss sometimes with the homers, but it's just been too much miss lately, too many strikeouts. And um, getting Manny back would be big. I think he, he showed some signs of hitting better in the last week or so that he before he got spiked and, you know, inadvertently spiked there in a the Pittsburgh series. And they showed he was working hard on trying to hit the ball the other way. And I think he just has to calm down out there and just let the ball travel, not be afraid to drive it to right and right center, maybe shorten his swing occasionally. And, you know, we know this guy's not a 210 hitter. So hopefully just more games take care of that and he gets it going. Right. Um, And... Actually, what we're doing, fans, is we're going to release this week's podcast uh, a little bit early. We're going to release it tomorrow on Monday because, believe it or not, it's it's draft time. Uh, tomorrow, Monday, is the uh, the first-year player draft, annual first-year player draft. Um, I know, Steve, we talked a little bit about it the past few weeks on, on episodes, how uh, the Orioles, you know, they certainly aren't, aren't giving too many things away, and there's so many different variables in terms of prospects, and then once a guy gets drafted, he still has to go through the negotiations. He might end up there. It's certainly common for a guy to, to not sign with a team and go back or maybe go on and pitch in college if it was a high school player. So there's certainly a lot of variables in the air, but we'll, we'll spend some time kind of looking at, uh, you know, what the Orioles might do or given their situation, who they might be targeting there. Um, Steve, I know this is all going to be kind of, you know, basic knowledge for you, but just kind of give fans a little bit of taste there. Uh, The Orioles are picking. They have the 21st pick currently. 
Um, the top overall prospects, I think, are a pitcher out of Notre Dame High School named Hunter Green, a righty, a uh, pitcher righty from Vanderbilt, Kyle Wright, and a first baseman from, from Louisville, uh, Brendan McKay. Of course, the Orioles won't. They're not even bothering with them because by the time it gets to pick 21, those guys will surely be off the board. Now, I've looked at a couple different mock drafts, Steve, and the uh, three different mocks, one on Baseball America, one on MajorLeagueBaseball.com, and one on CBS Sports, and all three of them have a different player uh, you know, going to the Orioles at that 21st pick, which just goes to show you how unpredictable this is. But um, the Orioles are usually pretty pretty good. They have a, a, one of the sharpest front offices in terms of Brian Graham and Gary Rasich and, and those whole teams there. So um, it's, it's at least a nice little kind of glimmer you know hope, hope for the future there and always kind of nice to see uh yeah some some promising talent join the orioles organization well they have 41 picks in 40 rounds as you said the 21st overall pick in round one and three other top 100 picks number 60 74 and 98 11 picks in the first 10 rounds and you know even as uh, we talked before the draft starts the Orioles just don't know they couldn't they couldn't tell you who's going to be number 21 and the reason Brian is they don't know who's going to be in the first 20 they have probably a real good idea of the first 20 names in some order but there's always surprises there's going to be a player I'm going to guess that the Orioles have maybe they rank their board and they have a player number 14 who's still available when they pick at 21 and if that's the highest player, that's that's often how they do it. They go, well, numbers 14, 22, and 28 are still there. We're going to get number 14, whether that's what position. They don't usually don't draft for need, especially early in the draft. They don't overdraft. You know, we need a – let's say we need a shortstop to replace Hardy in a year or two. Let's draft him now. Well, there might not be that guy there at that pick, so they're not – they're going to – you know, in a baseball draft, it could take years for these guys to get there. So you're best to just uh, none. Of, you know, people think uh, they're win now mode that impacts the draft. It really doesn't. Uh, they just can't do it that way. It's so different from other sports. So it, it, in a way, it has a lot to do with the major league team. In some ways, it doesn't have anything to do with the major league team. Um, and they're just going to try to take good players and get them to the major leagues over the next couple years. Uh, in this draft as they have in the past and you know they went heavy pitcher pitching last year that was by design they didn't broadcast that before the draft but coming out of the draft they were willing to acknowledge they had a game plan to pile stockpile pitching and you're always going to draft a lot of pitchers brian because they make up half your roster right you have 25 guys and you have 12 pitchers so you're always going to draft a lot and uh they will again this year so they're generally given the given the choice between uh, you know a position at need for a player who who might be you know three or four guys down on their big board versus the best overall prospect you know regardless of position the Orioles are going to lean towards that ladder and take the the best overall talent at that spot regardless Probably of position. Probably so. I mean, it, it could be a tiebreaker. It could be two players are close, and one might be at a position they need more than the other, and maybe that serves as a tiebreaker, but. Uh, many times I've interviewed Rasich, he says that is not how it happens. Um, and again, maybe Dan Duquette could overrule him, but I do think he lets Gary and his staff do most of the picking. I'm sure he has input. He's the head of baseball operations. And Buck has said he has little input because he doesn't scout these guys. He may look at some video. They may seek his opinion on certain guys, but <clears throat> he's honest to admit, you know, I don't, that's not my area of expertise. Our scouts watch him year round and they, and you know so much now it's about signability 
and they can find out. A lot of times, Brian, they know about what these players are going to get before they even take them. And the way the slotting and the money is set up now, you have to have some knowledge of that. So that's part of the area scout's job, uh, to not be surprised after the draft. Guy wants $3 million. They told you he wanted 2.2. You know, that's the surprise you don't want to get uh, with that top, with that 21st pick. So I know the Orioles are, are they're kind of usually linked to college players versus high schoolers. Of course, there are certainly exceptions there, but um, I mean, other than the the obvious factors of a college player being a, a few years older, you know, a little bit more experience against some higher level competition in college versus high school, um, is there any factor that make makes them lean a little bit more towards towards taking the college guys, or is that just kind of the way the cookies crumbled over their over their draft history? There has been a trend for some teams to lean a little more towards college. Uh, as people who've done the draft many years have told me, you can't eliminate a demographic. That's a wrong thing to do, to say we're not taking high school or we're not taking high school pitchers. You just don't want to rule out a demographic because you're going to miss something and you're going to need a well-rounded, you know, you need some high school and, and college over 40 picks. And so uh, the advantage of college is you've seen him longer. He's closer to the majors. He's probably more of a polished player. But high school, you get him in your system faster. He can get to the majors at a younger age. You can get him quickly into your nutrition program and your weightlifting and, you know, really start to hone this kid uh, at a formative age. Uh, and so college kids maybe all have developed certain habits that you can't change. So there's advantages on both. And if you want to get a Manny Machado to the majors at 19 or 20, that's probably a high school draft, which he was. If you if you want a player who's going to come later and be 24 or 25, but maybe is a more finished product, that's Trey Mancini. So and he was drafted out of Notre Dame, played four years. So you have different uh, outlooks, and both obviously you need both are going to be big, hopefully for the future of the Orioles. And you look at those two players, Machado was a high pick, elite, and Mancini was eighth round. You know, a lot of people overlooked him or saw holes in his game, whatever. And the Orioles got him in the eighth round, and he looks really good right now. So um, you can't, inter- you know, sum it up. You can't eliminate a demographic, and you can't just say we're doing this and this. You have to be open to a lot of things. Certainly, flexibility is a big part of it. And just to kind of recap, I know the first round picks, uh, you know, sometimes are not the highlights of, of uh, a team's overall draft, but they certainly get the, the most attention on draft night for understandable reasons. Um, last year, the Orioles uh, took uh, pitcher Cody Sedlock from University of Illinois. Uh, he's currently a Frederick, single a, high single A Frederick. He's, uh, I believe, four and three on the year, ERA just, just under six in about 11 starts. So he's working his way, um, kind of, you know, I, I wouldn't think we'd see him in the majors uh, anytime soon, quote unquote, but uh, he's certainly on his way there. And uh, the year before, 2015, the Orioles took uh, DJ Stewart, the outfielder from Florida State. He sort of had that unorthodox uh, batting stance, little, uh, kind of clo- closed uh, crunched up stance um i think he's he's in double uh, a buoy already uh hitting about 240 um so it's as you said steve these these the names that we're going to hear tomorrow and over the next few days or much say monday the next few days um you know we're not going to be in the majors anytime soon uh but it is a good way to kind of look and, and say hey you know what it's, it's another chance to improve the organization improve the farm system and then you hope uh improve the the the, the ball club you know the big league club well, you know, if a player gets to the majors, they've beaten the odds because if you draft 40, they'll tell you if you get four or five to the majors, that's a good draft. If you get one or two stars, that's a great draft. 
it's just hard. It really is. And we and other teams do it and they're maybe better than the Orioles in some respects and and fans see that and say, Why aren't we doing it? And it's fair to ask. But, you know, the Orioles have sent some homegrown players if if you just want to look around the diamond and Scope and Machado and Caleb Joseph came from their draft and Mancini and Gosman and Britton and Bundy and Givens and Hart and you know these are homegrown and then they traded some of their draft picks to get players like Hardy and Adam Jones so you do it that way too uh, you acquire young talent you trade them to get some else someone else's young talent and then you uh have that young talent become an all-star on your watch like they did with Chris Davis and Adam Jones uh you know get acquiring them when they were much younger so a lot of ways to make a winner and um the draft, it, you know, the other thing it does, Brian, is it stocks farm teams. You know, you've got four full-season teams, and by the next couple of weeks, seven total Oriole farm teams will be playing. You'll have uh, Delmarva, Frederick, Bowie, and Norfolk, the full season. The Dominican Summer League team is already playing. Soon, the Gulf Coast League in Aberdeen will start. So there'll be seven total teams playing, and, you know, each have – 25 or bigger rosters. The short season teams have bigger rosters. So, I mean, you're talking uh, 170, 200 players on those rosters. It'd be interesting. It's always always nice to see them get a chance to, like you said, and whether that's trade prospects down the road or improve that ball club. That's that's always good to see. So, be on the lookout for that. That starts the first round is tonight uh, on MLB Network. Uh, so you guys can check that out. Again, the Orioles have the twenty first pick, so that'll usually be. You don't have to go right it when the draft starts. I believe it's at eight p.m. You can wait a little bit there. Um, so we'll see. So just to kind of wrap things up, Steve. I I know uh, we kind of lo- looking ahead. We're in the middle of June here, but it's never too early to kind of look towards the, the end of the season. I, I'm we're gonna play uh, buy or sell. I'm just gonna give you some statements there, and you're gonna tell me whether you're buying these statements or whether you're selling them. Uh, they're sort of off the cuff there, so I hope you're you're ready for this. So. Uh, all right, so um, leading off, Trey Mancini. Uh, he's currently fifth on the Orioles list for home runs. I believe he has nine at the moment. I'm going to say buy or sell. Mancini finishes top three on the Orioles list of home runs for this season. Uh, I'll say sell on that because I think he'll do well and he'll hit a lot. But if the Orioles are to do better, they're going to need several guys in that 30 to 40 range like Manny and Davis and Trumbo, just to name three, and I think they're counting on those guys carrying more of the home run clout. But Mancini's been a revelation with what he's done, Brian, especially hitting the all fields. Very impressive. All right, so buy or sell a player. Now, this is only for players who are going to play at least 80 games. Uh, so at least half the season. So you're everyday players. I know there's a lot of platoon situations, but buy or sell the Orioles finishing with at least one player above a 300 batting, a 300 or above uh, at the end of the season. I'm going to say sell right now. I mean, let's hope that it is at least one. But right now, it doesn't look great in that front. And I think scope is much improved, but hitting 300, that's going to be hard. But I think his final power numbers and his improvement will be impressive by the end of the year. Yeah, it currently is, again, as we record the scopes, at about 282. Um, the only one above 300 who I guess you could consider an everyday player is Wellington Castillo, but again, catchers, you're, they're going to be working in with Pena and Caleb Joseph, and, and he's working his way back from injury. So 
Uh, there's a chance Wellington could do that, but uh, um, and actually Mancini is right behind it on the on the average race, to hitting it around two seventies, two eighties. So, um, so all right, Steve. So buy or sell right now. Dylan Bundy leads the Orioles starters with six wins. Uh, buy or sell. Kevin Gosman finishing second in win for the Orioles. I'm going. On, I'm I'm going on a limb and assuming that Dylan Bundy will lead the club or at least the starting rotation in wins. I know it's a hot take, but at least for the guy who ends up finishing second, um, buy or sell. Kevin Gosman getting that second place in terms of I, wins. I can't buy that one either because he's struggling so badly right now. I just I want to foresee him doing better, and I think he can. And I think a lot depends on him doing better. Um, so who are you taking then? Who's your se- who's second on your in your win list? Second, um, yeah. we're assuming Bundy gets the top spot. I, I mean, I'm going to say Tillman, and it's a shaky pick, I know, because he's been shaky. I'm going to say he gets it straight, and the Yankee game was an aberration, and he starts to get some wins. Okay, I was I was selling that statement too because I actually think Wade Miley's gonna gonna uh, kind of rack up some wins there, you know. So we'll, we'll, it's all it's all kind of a shaky ground there after after Bundy. So we're kind of in that together there. So right, um, it is shaky after Bundy, and that that needs to change for them really to have long term success. Right. All right, buy or sell. Chris Davis finally earns that Gold Glove at first base. I'm going to sell that one, too. I mean, I sound like a Debbie Downer tonight. And not that he can't get it. He can. I got a feeling he'll fall short. I think uh, he might get nominated for the finalist, but someone else will emerge. Yeah, boy, man, it's it's tough. You're not buying. You're going to walk home with I full know, pockets because you're not buying anything. That's all right. Anybody can actually listen to this? I right. hope not. Actually, we have plenty of listeners, so I'm in That's trouble. True. <laughs> no, it's all right. It's it's uh it's still a trying time. So all right, buy or sell. The Orioles will get multiple All Star selections. We'll see multiple All Stars in Miami representing the Orioles. That one I'll I'll go with. You know, Manny, despite his poor season, does chance to get voted in because he's been so good for a few years. Um, Bundy has a chance. Scope has a chance. Um, I'm going to say they get two. All right, and buy or sell, we see Zach Britton return to full action uh, by the All-Star break. I'll buy that one, too, because that's the way they've set it up, and knock on wood, you know, he's supposed to pitch his first minor league rehab game June 19th at Aberdeen, and that's still, what, about two weeks or more before the break. And, you know, he's as a reliever, he's not going to have to build up to five or six innings, obviously. He's going to throw two or three or four on the minors, I would guess, a couple one inning, maybe two. And that could happen hopefully over a week or two to get him back. All right. So we got a few buys there at the end. I'll take it. That's a good way to bounce back from that there. So I mean, maybe Britain returns. I'll conservatively guess that road trip leading up to the All-Star break. I bet you they hope it's sooner, but uh, I can foresee him pitching on that road trip going into the break. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on that as he's progressing there. So... Um, as we kind of wrap things up, those fans, Steve, I know you are headed to, uh, or you were, well, by the time people listen to this, you'll be in the Windy City uh, as the Orioles open up the uh, the series against the White Sox there. Um, and I guess, Steve, we're just hoping that they can turn turn it around. They, they're obviously not only struggling, but struggling on the road. And here we've got more road baseball, so it just it doesn't get any easier, as we say. Nope. Last time I was there was a Sunday afternoon, and Machado hit three homers. So Maybe he'll return to the lineup on one of these next few games and hit three homers again. That would be interesting. That sounds like a good omen. I will buy that from you, Steve. How about that? <laughs> take that one to the bank. Well, That's don't take right. it to the bank, but 
Yeah, you can buy it. Just don't buy it for too too high a cost. It sounds like a plan. So, all right, Oriole fans, so we will check in with you guys next week. Steve, enjoy Chicago. Oriole fans, be sure to check us out on SoundCloud, on iTunes. And until then, we'll see you.